in a New York City diner that uh, a Pastor John Tyson proceeded to share a story with uh, several of us uh, Canadian church leaders. Um, Lynn and I had the privilege of being in that diner. We were crammed in there on, a, on that really nice April afternoon, evening. And he spoke of a, a young woman. She was a, um, a high-end New York City model. And she was walking to church, a church that we had just attended that evening in the Chelsea district. And as she approached the church, the building, uh, she greeted a homeless man by name. And he, in turn, greeted her by name. And the two of them then just linked arms and walked in, into church, sat beside each other, and, and continued to worship God. Pastor John shared many stories that night, but this one has never left me. It's almost 10 years ago. There was, something, there was just something right about what he said, what, what I heard, what had, had transpired that morning, or that he, I guess that, that day. But there was also something very rare and something very supernatural that took place when, in, that, in that story. And Jesus said um, in John chapter 13, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let me read that again. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Sometimes I think we in the church, we as believers in Christ, think we've achieved this if we're polite to each other. We think, you know, if we've gathered in somebody's house and we begin to talk about football and politics and child rearing without having a fight, um, uh, we've, 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 we've actually accomplished this. But did you hear what Jesus said? Jesus says... And he defines love like this, as I have loved you. How had he loved his disciples at this point? Just before he said this, he had taken on the position and the role of a slave, and he had washed his disciples' feet. In that culture, when you came into somebody's home, uh, you would expect the servant to wash the feet of the guests because they were wearing sandals, it was a dusty, dirty climate, uh, and they were entering somebody's home, and this is what the servant would do. But Jesus did that for his disciples. And that's why you get Peter's reaction, like, no, 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 you're the master. I, I Don't do this. And, of course, Jesus responds to him. And how would Jesus love his disciples, and how would Jesus love us? Well, the foot washing actually points to the cross, where Jesus picks, put, takes on the form of a slave and, and, and dies in the place of a slave and, and dies the death that... We ought to have died. How does Jesus love us? He gave himself. And so community grace, have we displayed Jesus through our community? That's my question today. Have we displayed Jesus through our community? The Webster's uh, Dictionary 
uh, defines community as a unified body of individuals, sometimes around a common location, shared interests, goals, etc. So why this topic? Well, this week I'm continuing on the series on the five distinctives that we hope will accomplish our vision. So what is that vision again? This morning I read it from Revelation 7. All nations, all languages gathered around the throne of the Lamb, worshiping God in one voice. Or we could say, our vision of community grace is building a community from all cultures where Christ is king. We haven't arrived, <laughs> just in case you were, weren't sure. But how do we hope to accomplish this? Through five distinctives. I'm going to read them today. Last week we looked at truth that transforms lives. This week we're going to look at community that displays Christ. Next week, Lord willing, prayer that cries your kingdom come, then worship that feeds the soul, and finally, mission that welcomes everybody in. You may recall from last week, truth that transforms lives. I spoke about that truth is found in the book, but the book is all about Jesus. And, 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 and it's, not a, it's not a two plus two kind of truth equals four that changes our lives, but it's a, a, it's a person namely Jesus, who transforms us. And as, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, as we behold him, as we look at him, as we examine him and see what he's done, as we marvel at that, as we get to know him, as we understand and grapple with his love, uh, he changes us. And we do that by staring into his book. And so I get up in the morning and read this book, not so that I can, as I shared last week, know how old Methuselah was. That's a good piece of trivia to tuck in the back of your brain, but, 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 but I, I get to open this book because I want to know about this Jesus who loves me. I want to be transformed. In our family groups, we open up this book Ladies get together, they open up the book. Us men get together in different settings and we open up this book, not because we want to get a bunch of knowledge in our brain, but because we want to get to know a person who might change us. So how do we get to a place where we're a community from all cultures where Christ is king? One of the ways we do that is by in the book, by, by truth that transforms our lives. But today we want to look at community that displays Christ. When I was in uh, graduate school, um, it's still very prevalent, but uh, it was the common church growth model that was continually presented to me in book after book and class after class. And, and really it could be shrunk down to this. Uh, at the heart, it encouraged planters, pastors, church leaders to find a target audience be an ethnic group it could be a it could be young families it could be singles whatever that target group might be then build programs to attract that crowd and market to that target audience 
And when that's done well, it works. I, I can point to church after church that gathered and filled buildings because they did that really well. They, they, they funked their music through so that it looked and it attracted that crowd. They, they thought through how they presented the message and to attract that crowd. They, they thought through their programs and to attract that crowd. And quite frankly, I tried to do that and did that in a couple of contexts. And we grew a church. We grew a congregation. We grew, we grew, we grew. People came. But eventually I developed a problem with that model. The New Testament. The New Testament got in the way of that for me. Let me try to show you what I mean. Ephesians today. That's where I'd like to land. We're not going to, we're not going to um, unpack a few verses in, in, in detail. We're going to try to do a big wave over and then we zoom in on a couple spots, okay? Uh, but Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and and he, he's, just, he's just oozing over praise, uh, verses 3 down to verse 14 of chapter 1, of all the blessings that are ours in Christ. Really what he's doing is he's, he's holding up Jesus, and, and he's being transformed as he's considering what Jesus has done for them and for him, and he's praising God in doing that, and he's, he's being transformed, and the community's being transformed. Then he prays in verse 15 to the end of the chapter. And then in chapter 2, he does something incredibly beautiful uh, where he talks about God's grace, that God graciously rescued these people. You, let's just, I'll just read some of it. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. You've probably heard those words. If you haven't, read them and read them again and read them over again. And as you do that, let those words soothe you and, and change you because you're, what you're doing, you're grappling and looking at what Jesus has done. You're looking at the gospel. And that's what Paul's doing in this letter to the Ephesians. He's, he's talking about how God has graciously rescued them. But he doesn't stop there. I once, um, in a nursing home, preach a sermon on chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And an elderly man, he was in his 90s, he, he um, at the end of the service, he, he, he tore into me and says, you stopped too soon. You needed to keep going. And he wanted me to keep on going. Well, I didn't have time, but uh, uh, I did the following week. He says, but the, the, the rest of it's so beautiful. Verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the circumcision by what is called the circumcision, called, uh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel 
and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and He preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What is Paul doing there? He says, beginning of chapter 2, he talks about how, how they've been saved by grace. They've been rescued. They were under God's wrath. They're no longer under God's wrath because of Christ's work. Then in chapter, chap, verse 11 of chapter 2, he says, remember you were once divided. Who, who were they divided? They were divided and separated from the people of God the nation of Israel. It says, you Gentiles were separated from the people of God. There was a separation. There was a hostility. As you read the book of Acts, you begin to see this hostility throughout the, the actually throughout the New Testament. It's, it's obvious even in chapter 6 of the book of Acts, but elsewhere as well. He says, you were separated. And, and, and then he says, but like Paul often does, but now in Christ Jesus, because of Christ, because of what He's done, because you, are, because you are included in Him, you are connected to Him, because of your faith in Him, this is what He's done. What has He done? He uses a language, look at, He's brought near, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility in verse 14 made us both one. That's Jew and the Gentile. In verse, fif verse uh, 15, he abolished the law of the commandments that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. Pause there. What's he saying? The Apostle Paul is saying because we are in Christ, because we are Christians, because we have faith in what Jesus has done, because of his work, we are Jew and Gentile, one new man. The language there could be, say, one new humanity, one new race. What Christ is saying, what Paul is saying that Christ has done is that we are no longer Jews or we no longer are Gentiles. We are a new race, a new people. Peter says that. That's what the church is. 
That's what we are. Because of Christ. Now the Apostle Paul will go on. He'll call us citizens in verse um, 19, fellow citizens. But then he says something else. He says we are members of, in verse 19, members of the household of God. We're part of his family. You've probably heard the phrase that, the, that blood is thicker than water. The idea is uh, we might fight like cats and dogs as family, but when going gets rough, we stick together. Nothing sticks closer together than family. Throughout history, nothing sticks closer than ethnic groups and or family groups. And the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus that you are a new race. You are no longer Jew. You are no longer Gentile. You are a new humanity. You are a, you are a new man. You are a new family. That's strong language. Now, catch verse 22. In Him, in Jesus, you, are, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we are one new family, we are one new race, but we are being built. So we haven't arrived. This is reality, but we are to become who we are. That's what Paul is saying. Now, if you carry on in, in Ephesians... You get to chapter 3, and Paul says, for this reason, it's because of this, I, Paul, a prisoner, he's, he's writing from prison, which he does often, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace. He says, I'm coming to you, <laughs> his job, in other words, to, short, to, to give you the shortened version is, I've come to preach the gospel, this message to you Gentiles, so you can be part of this new humanity. Paul says, that's my job. I get to do this. But then he says something that's is significant. Verse 10 of chapter 3. Why in the world would God make one new race? Why in the world is God bringing these things, to Jew and Gentile, together? Why is he removing the hostility? Verse 10 of chapter 3. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Did you catch that? In other words, what God has done and what God is doing is causing the angels in heaven to sit up and take notice. Isn't that similar to what Jesus said? What did he say in, in, in John chapter 13? If, 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 if you love, he said, let me read it. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we love one another, the world will sit up and take notice. The, 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 heaven, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, uh, 
the the angelic world, the demon world. I, like that's not completely explained, but it's 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 beyond us. But they are even taking notice as they're watching what God is doing in the context of the church. We are called to display Jesus. And we do that when we love one another. And love one, loving one another is more than just being polite to each other. Loving one another is costly. Sacrificial. It comes at great cost. Mark Dever writes, the church is as close as we have in this present age to seeing the gospel with our eyes. We hear the gospel proclaimed, don't we? But we see it when Jew and Gentile love one another. We see it when a homeless and a wealthy worship Jesus in unison. When an African and a Hispanic sacrifice for one another, we see the love of Christ. We see we see the gospel. We see Jesus. Why, why, why are we called into local churches like this? Remember, Paul, Paul is talking on a big picture. He's thinking big picture, and he's thinking uh, in the church in, in, in uh, Ephesus. He's saying big picture, universal, Jew and Gentile are brought together. But then he's speaking to the church in Ephesus about this. And, and then he's going to tell the, the church in Ephesus, he's going to say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So he's going to say to that church, husbands in that church, Sam, you made us guys raise our hands as we prayed. Uh, he, he's, he's actually doing that. Husbands in this church, raise your hands. You are to love Christ as Christ loved the church. In doing that, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In, in doing that, husbands, what, 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 what's going to happen is, is the world's going to see that you are my disciples. Now, he doesn't stop there. He will say, children, obey your parents. And he will say, masters, you're to treat well your slaves, your servants. And he'll, he'll actually go, knowing there is no partiality with God. And so he, he fleshes this out at the local level. And so why does God bring, why, does, why, does, why are we called into a local church like Community Grace or some other church here in the city? Mark Dever will say it this way, so that together we can image the beauty and power and grace of God. That vision of glory is what will draw the new Christian to faith, the slumbering Christian to wake up, and the struggling Christians to persevere. I tend to agree with him. And is this what motivates us at Community Grace? Are we here because 
of what the church can do for us? Or are, are we consumers or, or are we displayers of Christ? Too many local congregations are all about what the church can do for me. And Christ calls the church to actually be so self-sacrificing and so others-oriented and so giving of ourselves and loving one another that we display Christ. That's a mind shift. When I was taught in seminary that if we focus on a target group and we zero in on that group and we build things for them, what I was taught was just, just... the, the philosophy of the world, that we can build something by giving people what they want. But the church is something different. The church is called, the people of God are called to give away themselves, to sacrifice for one another. And in doing so, not only are we proclaiming the gospel, we are, we are displaying the gospel in a way that is absolutely beautiful. Maybe one of the reasons why that homeless man and that model in New York City was such a a powerful story for me was because I have so rarely seen this kind of love in the church. So, So how do we do this? How do we make this happen? Can I just pause for a second? We don't make this happen. Jesus builds his church. This is a work of Christ. This is something that would be supernatural. This is something that needs to be uh, God does in us and through us. This is something God has to do. This is impossible. I can't do this. I can't, I, can't, I can't manufacture this. We can't manufacture this. So do we just sit and watch TV together till God zaps us? No, I think we can c- cultivate this. I think we can cultivate and pres- prepare the soil so that God could do this work among us and build such a community. And how would we do that? How would we cultivate well, I think Paul's doing that in, in the book of Ephesians. In his letter to Ephesians, what, what's he doing? He's, he's, he's praying. Begin, at the end of chapter 1 and at the end of chapter 3, he has this long-winded prayer. And he's praying that they would understand the love of Christ, that they would know Christ, that they would understand His power. That He prays that they get the gospel. Next week, we're going to do the, the third distinctive, a, 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 a church that prays, thy kingdom come. Are we a church that's praying, Lord, would you graciously, because you're good and because you're powerful and because you're kind and because it's the best thing that could happen, would you build a church, Lord, that all cultures would gather together and be worshiping you? Would you do that here? Would you do that in my neighbor's church, in my friend's church? And Lord, would you do that across the city? But would you do that in our context, please? Would you help us to know you so well that that's the kind of church we are? How do we cultivate such 
a community? How do, we, how do we prepare the soil so that God could do such a work? We pray for it. But, but we also cultivate the soil by remembering what Christ has done. By, by pausing and thinking about who this Jesus is. Isn't that what Paul does in the book of Ephesians? He spends the first three chapters, for the most part, just unpacking who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and the implications of that. And as that church is, is looking at that beautiful gem called the gospel, at that beautiful person called Jesus, he's praying that they're going to be transformed by that truth. Are we a people? Will we continue to be a people that the Word of God is, is, is vital in our individual lives and in the lives and, and in, in our contacts together because we want to know this person named Jesus? Whether we're in Ephesians or Ecclesiastes. And how do we cultivate this? I think we call one another to, to a sacrificial love. Two weeks ago, I did a sermon on the book of Philemon. We discussed slavery. I encourage you to listen to that message if you haven't heard it. But it was in that, in that context, remember Philemon, his runaway slave, who looks like he, he ran away and stole something, seems to have an encounter with the Apostle Paul in Rome, Probably in prison, we're not sure. Somehow Onesimus comes to know Christ. He's changed. The Apostle Paul says, I'm a father to Onesimus, a slave. I am. He's my child. He's my very heart. He's actually been very useful to me. But I think it's important for me to send him back to you, Philemon. And I'm not going to command you and tell you what to do, but I'm going I'm to beg that because of your love, you will do certain things. And he prays in that letter that he'll do a certain thing. And what does he, what's he request him to do? Take Onesimus back, but not as a slave, but as a beloved brother. The early church, half of the early church, at least half of the early church was filled with slaves. Why did slaves like the early church? Why, what drew them to Christianity? It was because it was a world, it was a family, it was a race that they were equal, that before God they were, they, there, was, there was no distinction between Jew and Gentile, between male and female, between slave and master. They were equal at the foot of the cross. They were brothers and they were sisters. They were family. No other place in culture had that. And our culture has tried to do that, but no place has been able to do that. Only the church has been able to do that. But what's Paul calling Philemon to do? Paul's calling Philemon, I know he has stolen from you. I know he was your slave and he was useful to you. But actually, I'm going to call you to call him and, and, and invite him in as a brother to forgive him of his debt. If you can't do that, I'll pay his debt, Paul says. That's radical. But I think we need to be calling each other to such a radical love.
for one another. Yes, we're to love the, the world around us, absolutely. But it, it ought to be very evident that we love one another. And as God presents opportunities for us, how will we step out of our comfort zones and show love for one another? That's what he's calling us to. You know, Community Grace, will you join me in praying that Jesus would build his kingdom right here? Yeah, we long for the kingdom to come, but we pray that his kingdom would become evident with greater clarity even, even now. Community Grace, will, you, will, will the good news of Jesus flow off our lips this week in our conversations with each other and with the people that you work with? Because we want to be transformed by this Jesus. Community Grace, who in this body do we need to step out of our comfort zone this week and, and display to them the sacrificial love of Christ? Ask the Lord that, and then follow him on that. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. But as we just walk through the day, Lord, you love me, love us far more than I or we ever will love you. Our relationships are, are, are to be uh, of such a nature that it displays the love that you had for us. And the truth is, I and we have fallen short. So, oh Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to love one another like this? Lord, may it, may it start with a phone call or a, a, a text, but Lord, if it needs to, Lord, would it go further? Father, I pray for those among our church family that they're, they're sick. Pray for healing in their, in their lives. Father, I pray for those who are gone. I think of Wade and Sonia in Germany. They're enjoying life out there, but Lord, also I pray for Sonia. She wrestles with some of her stuff. Would you give her healing? Touch her body as only you can. Father, give us eyes to see within, within our congregation here who needs to be encouraged, who needs to be uplifted with a word, who needs to be given a hug, who needs financial help, who needs whatever, Lord. Lord, help us to see where and how we can display the love of Christ. Lord, would it become so evident that we love